Welcome to Stream Police, a podcast about movies, for movies, and by movies. I'm John Otney. Joining me, as always, is Mr. Michael Seventy. How are you doing, Michael? Hey. That doesn't answer your question, but I just thought that's how <laughs> <laughs> Good, good. So, Michael, I'm not sure if you heard, but there is a craze sweeping the nation right now. It's, it's all anyone seems to be talking about. It's inspiring people to, to be more active, have fun, bringing people together. And I mean, I think it's obvious what I'm referring to. It's the resurgence of Brendan Fraser fandom. Uh, why do you think people are excited about Brendan Fraser again? Well, I mean, I think Brendan Mania has been a long time coming because for a while it was just, you know, just the cult obsessive, just like you and me, the guys that were like yeah, yeah. really into him. And, you know, it's not just nostalgia because, I mean, that stuff holds up. But I think now it's we're at this age where everybody who kind of grew up and, and like had that that airheads poster on the wall everybody who was like oh yeah now and then he, he's in the background and now and then that's like you know the deep cut stuff sure is yeah like that's those are the guys that you know we're, we're a little bit uh, we're older now and when we have uh you know our our money means something to the people uh you know, yeah yeah and, then, and they're like yeah let's let's bring out the phrase again I mean, let's not forget how prolific he is he's i mean he didn't have any movies last year but he's got two this year he's got a uh, a romantic sci-fi film behind the the curtain of night, and his uh, Indian crime film, The Field. Uh, you know, I I recommend the everyone check out the poster. I think it's Brendan Fraser's silhouette. He's uh, <laughs> looking a little misshapen, but I mean, he's he's you know that's familiar territory. He's so method that he would <laughs> look that way for this role, just horribly disfigure himself. So, Michael, I'd love to know about when you first became a Fraser Fraser file. Not to be confused with Fraser files, who are fans of the show Fraser. Oh, and by the way, real quick on Fraser files, if you're ever seeing Kelsey Grammer live, don't be the guy that yells out, "Place toss salad and scrambled eggs." He's gonna get to it in the encore. Okay. <laughs> Let's hear some deep cuts first. That's good. That's good because I would feel compelled to yell that. Like that's what I know. That's what I'm comfortable with. Um, but Brendan Fraser, what's the, what's the first Brendan Fraser film you recall watching or like being aware of, Hey, this is this guy, Brendan Fraser. Is there one film in particular? Yeah, there definitely is. I remember when I was a little kid, uh, we saw, my family saw the movie George of the Jungle in theaters many times because <laughs> we, I loved it. Uh, and I, you know, I haven't seen it since then probably and not that I can remember but from my memories of it, I <laughs> I don't know if that's the best way to evaluate it. Uh, but it is. I, <laughs> I remember it being uh, a lot of fun because I thought he was a great George of the Jungle. I think he he got that role, and I think that's the what appealed to me as a kid watching uh, him in that is kind of the same thing that appeals to me now when I when I see the occasional when you know when I, when I saw the Mummy later on or uh, you know when I saw like uh, his performance on uh, those couple episodes of scrubs that he did, like yeah. he's, he's just, he's a very likable presence. He really commits and he really, he has no vanity. Like he just kind of goes for it with everything he does. Like, uh, and yeah, so I, that's, uh, that's what I said when I was four years old, walking out of George Tar- <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah, you know, he really commits no vanity on that guy. <laughs> he gets it. That was my first Brendan Fraser film as well. I remember seeing it at the Kirkland Park Place Cinema, which is now a smoldering pile of rubble. 
Uh, it has been torn down since then. Yeah. Saw it with my mom and probably my my younger brother, and I had a great time. He was he's perfectly cast. He's goofy, but also he's a big dude. He felt like I felt like he could be like a Tarzan type character. Yeah, walking out, I was excited, and my mom's like. Well, that stunk, <laughs> and I'm like, did, did we did we just watch the same movie? Are you kidding me? You know, it's funny. I haven't seen it since like 1997 or eight, so I don't know. I'm really curious now. It's it's it's, it's funny in my memory, like not even like genuinely like a like for kids at least. Yeah, good kids movie. It had John Cleese as a gorilla. John Cleese as a gorilla. It's got Leslie Mann in a in a kind of early role for her, and yeah, I don't know, I. I wouldn't, because, like, I, I like, you know, the Rocky and Bullwinkle cartoons and all, and everything that this, that it comes from, and I think, I don't know, I, I bet it, I, I bet it translates, I bet it holds up. I'm going to say right now, <laughs> having not seen it since then, uh, go watch George of the Jungle, it gets a thumbs up for me. It gets the stream, please, uh, stamp of uh, approval. We need a sound We're booking that one. <laughs> Book it. <laughs> Book it. Arrest that movie for being too good. <laughs> So Brendan Fraser is doing these these goofy kind of kids movies because he also did Dudley Do Right, but then he also had a, this other career as an action star, and that came with The Mummy, which is another film I really liked when I was a kid. Uh, I feel like if I watch it now, I'd be like, "Yeah, it's okay, it's okay," you yeah. know. It's it's kind of I like the fact that it's in the past. That's you know gives it a kind of Indiana Jones feel. I'm sure the CGI is questionable. But that's okay. I mean, it was 1999. Yeah, and the CGI in the 30s mummy sucks. Yeah, exactly. So what? It, so why is anyone complaining, all right? It's accurate. It's accurate. <laughs> and then I remember walking out of that movie, and my dad's like, you know what's wrong with Brendan Fraser is he's doing these movies where he's like an action guy, but he's also doing these movies where he's like this goof, goofy idiot. So it's, I'm having trouble taking him seriously. And that made me think, you know, that, it's it's tough like it's for an actor like you can't just define yourself as a comedic comedic actor or a dramatic actor but if he had taken a strong stance i wonder if his career i mean aside from fraser mania going on right now would be different well you know it's interesting because i think that what he is really good at and the roles that he excels at are difficult roles to really uh get the to, i don't know to, <laughs> what am i trying to say a lot of people uh, don't really look at Looney Tunes back in action uh, as a movie that <laughs> will get uh, a lot of respect or that, you know, that has performances worth checking out. Cause I, but he fucking throws every little ounce of himself into Looney Tunes back in action. And, you know, when you compare that to, like, Jason Lee fucking sleepwalking through Alvin the Chipmunks or whatever, you know, like, yeah, to roll that a lot of people <laughs> would take as, like, a paycheck gig. But, like... He, him in that, or like you know Matthew Lillard and Scooby Doo, where they're like fucking like yeah, I'm, I'm like I think those are both Oscar worthy performances for me. <laughs> and so, but then you know he mixed it up with kind of doing something like Crash, where it's like more of a you know here's me being capital R respectable. And I I don't know I feel like maybe he did try to kind of broaden things out a bit or. Which, I don't know, for me, I, I just think that he, he excelled so much at doing the George of the Jungle thing. And I, I would say, for me, he was kind of a credible, like, action guy and the mummy and stuff like that. But, you know, I I feel like maybe it, it's just a matter of what he does not being something that's going to garner that kind of attention. You know? Yeah. I mean, he did do some good dramatic stuff. Uh, have you ever seen Gods and Monsters? I did not, no. 
I like that movie. It's about James Whale, who directed the original Frankenstein, yeah. and he's played by Ian McKellen. And I think it's set in probably the 50s, and uh, Brendan Fraser plays as Gardner, and Ian McKellen kind of falls for him. And that's a that's a great movie. I really like that. Like, he's really good in that. I bet he is good in that. I, I, I honestly wouldn't be surprised if he's got... I mean, because I think no, I, you know, I think he does have range, and I think, like, I think he's fine in, 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 you know, for all his problems, I think he's not bad in, in Crash or whatever, and I, I think he can pull that off. But then, like, for a while, these are I'm not saying that these are great movies, but he, uh-huh. but like Blast from the Past and Bedazzled, he's he's fucking killing it in those. Like, <laughs> he in Bedazzled, he he has like this this classic like actor challenge for a comedian where he has to play like basically eight different roles because he's or seven different roles or whatever because he's doing you know seven different lives you know as the you know bedazzled spoilers uh he's playing on you know these uh different versions of himself but uh he just brings so much to all of them and he really he's just so animated and and into it in a way that's not obnoxious which is the the key like he's throughout all of that he's very likable and I don't know. I just that—that that to me is that's my Fraser. Agreed. Yeah, I think yeah, Bedazzled. I think it's a terrible movie, but <laughs> Brendan Fraser, you know, he gives it, and he—you're right. He has to play like six different guys, and they're all different, and he's doing different stuff. He's he's giving it his all, and I'm glad you mentioned Blast in the Past as well because it was weird. There's a period where like that was one of my favorite movies for some reason. I don't know why. It's a very comfortable movie. It's it's a good premise. Yeah, he's very likable. That that haircut suited him. The haircut suited him. I agree. I'm with you. And it's got uh, it's got the Watkins pretty funny in it. I don't know. I like Blast from the Past. Dave Foley, who we'll be talking about again. Oh yeah, reunited. Finally. Reunited. Uh, but you know, I think the problem with Brendan Fraser is probably that problem that like my dad had. A lot of people like I don't know if I can take him seriously. They didn't really give him a chance. And as he got older, you know, I I don't know. People mm. just weren't interested anymore. Yeah, except for us in this uh, this resurgence that I was talking about. Yeah, that's right a real now, thing. The okay. zeitgeist has been captured. Yeah, so so I don't know. Uh, and so we'll be talking about a film today that is almost at the height of of a Fraser mania, freight Fraser mania, <laughs> Fraser, and that is Monkey Bone from two thousand one. A film that I saw in theaters and enjoyed at the time. So it was interesting revisiting it. And uh, let's talk about it. Let's talk about Monkey Bone. Show me the monkey! Shake that monkey! Stu Miley is the creator. The man behind the monkey. Monkey Bone is his creation. I love your way. Stu was about to have it all until it all came crashing down. From the director of The Nightmare Before Christmas. Hello? Am I dead? Hiya, boss. Comes the story of a man whose imagination brought a monkey to life. This is living. Hey! Get your fat butt out of my face. And a monkey. We've got big plans for that body of yours. Who wanted a life of his own. 
All right, so Monkey Bone, if you haven't seen it, I just grabbed a plot synopsis from IMDb because this person looked like they did a pretty good job. I'll credit them. <laughs> uh, thanks, Hypersonic91 at Yahoo.com. In a coma, Stu... Ma- okay, I'm, I'm going to try that again. <laughs> this, this is from Hypersonic91 at Yahoo.com. In a coma, Stu Miley, a cartoonist who created a comic strip called Monkey Bone, which features a rascal monkey... Okay, the, the, this, is that this flow right? He finds himself trapped within his own <laughs> underground creation and must find a way to get back while racing against his popular but treacherous character, Monkey Bone. Naturally, Monkey Bone is there, and he and Stu quickly start fighting like cats and dogs. I rescind that great job. When Stu realizes that his sister, due to a pact they once made, is preparing to pull the plug on him, Stu makes a deal with Hypnos, the god of sleep, to help him steal a golden ticket from death himself. When Monkey Bone takes over Stu's body and escapes to wreak havoc on the real world, Stu has to find a way to stop him before his sister pulls the plug on reality forever. Thank you, Hypersonic91. I think there's probably a few things missing there that are key. Uh, For one, the underground creation. I don't know if it was really Stu's creation. He goes to a place called Downtown. Mm -hmm. Also, Monkey Bone, I wouldn't necessarily say is a comic strip. It's more of a cartoon. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's it's basically he's an he's like a like imagine if there's a movie about the guy who made Ren and Stimpy, John Christopher Lucy, like he's an animator. He makes very quirky cartoons. Yeah. Film opens with his one of his Monkey Bone cartoons, and he's showing it to a bunch of people, and they're like, "Oh, this is gonna be such a hit. We're gonna sell so many toys and stuff." That's that's Dave Foley, his manager. Yeah. But you know, Stu, he's a weird guy, but he's also very like shy and soft spoken and artistic, and he doesn't really want to become a sellout. He just wants to express himself, and he also just wants to do well enough to where he can finally propose to his girlfriend, played by Bridget Fonda, back when she was in movies. <laughs> Remember that? Yeah. Why did she stop? What? what what's? I don't know. That? She was. I always liked her. I thought she was pretty good. Um. So she plays Stu's fiance as. Hypersonic 91 uh, informed us Stu is in an accident, in a car accident, and he falls into a coma and ends ends up in this place called Downtown. And Downtown is kind of like uh, limbo or hell. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like the, the nightmare world, kind of, or at least it's a world in which they can view nightmares. If, if this isn't clear, uh, the movie's mythology is kind of murky. But it's at this point in the movie you can see why this movie was directed by Henry Selleck. And if you're not familiar with Henry Selleck, he did A Nightmare Before Christmas and James and the Giant Peach. And later he did Coraline. Because this world is populated by uh, stop-motion characters, such as Monkey Bone, and characters in costumes. But, you know, this, this is my first problem with the film. There doesn't seem to be any rhyme or reason to downtown. Like, are these dead people? Are these nightmares, dreams? What are these things? You know, that's one of the things is that maybe I have Tim Burton in my head because of the Nightmare Before Christmas connection, but I kept comparing it uh, to in Beetlejuice, mm-hmm. how they have a kind of... That, that universe makes sense a little bit more. It's still kind of mysterious, and they do some, like, out-of-nowhere stuff with it, but Monkey Bone, I just, 
I don't know what downtown is for a while. I thought, oh, are we in his head? Hypersonic91 at Yahoo.com seemed to think so. Yeah, but, I mean, Hypersonic91, like, that guy, Jesus Christ. I mean, I, I, I consider myself kind of like the Hyper Knuckles 92 of the world. <laughs> and I, and I, he's kind of my rival, so I'm surprised that we even read him at all. Uh, downtown, though, like, I, I think that is part of the issue with this movie is that I don't think I've ever seen a movie that was more obviously, like, butchered in the editing room. <laughs> like, there's definitely, like, a longer cut of this movie. I have a feeling this is not the movie Henry Selleck wanted to make. Well, in fact, that's one of the interesting things about it, is that the original... This all started from a comic book called Dark Town, which I think maybe that's what they're alluding to with Downtown. But um, mm-hmm. And that was made by somebody named, I think, Kaja Blackley. Yes. And uh, basically, somebody sent uh, Selick like a copy of it or a, bu- a few issues of it, um, and he uh, loved it and said, "Oh, this is right up my alley. I need to do this." Uh, and they like were just making a movie that was an, a straight up adaptation of that. And then I can't find too much information about it, but uh, <laughs> online, it's, there's uh, the Wikipedia page just has a very simple sentence that says. However, as the project developed, it eventually evolved into Monkey Bone. <laughs> <laughs> Which is too bad. I actually, I have the uh, the plot synopsis to Darktown here. Yeah. I could share that real quickly sure. so we can kind of compare and see would this have been a better movie. So in Darktown, a man, Jacques de Bergerac, is in a coma after being in a car accident. He finds himself in Darktown where the land is dominated by strange living, breathing puppets and marionettes with button eyes. The lords of Darktown are trying to kill Jacques and use his body in the real world as a vessel for an agent of Darktown. There's only one problem, Jacques' imagination. He carries it with him always in a red suitcase. It protects him from the horrors of Darktown. Meanwhile, in the real world, Jacques' wife decides to take him off life support. Jacques now only has 12 hours to live. Back in Darktown, Jacques encounters Death, who informs him of his time limit and tells him how to escape Darktown. The book ends on a cliffhanger as Jacques is captured by a knight after wandering onto a chessboard. You know, that sounds fairly similar, but it sounds way more interesting it sounds like it's a little more concise there's these uh there's there's puppet people there's not just everything in this alternate limbo right and the, the fact that he carries out his imagination i like that that's an interesting idea yeah i, I don't know there, there's you can definitely see how the germ of that is present in monkey bone but yeah i don't know maybe and plus you can also see some of the artwork online and it certainly looks like an aesthetic that's maybe uh i don't know a, a little bit on the the darker edge of what they're doing here but um yeah i don't know it, it's it's hard to say because obviously that's not quite the movie that ended up being made and and you know but, but i don't know i if i just reading that uh, synopsis and hearing like oh we're they're making a movie about this i'd be like oh that looks interesting you know also i have to wonder if henry Selick wanted to do this all stop motion yeah I mean, up to that point, and looking at the films he's made since then, which is only about one other film, mm-hmm. I mean, it's predominantly stop motion. This movie is mostly live action. I mean, Monkey Bones, stop motion. There's maybe a handful of other creatures, but it's mostly live action. So I wonder if he lost control at some point. I noticed he didn't write the film, which he usually writes his films or has some, um, like, I know, like, we'll work on the story in his films. So, yeah. I find that interesting. Um, I'm not sure what happened, and Wikipedia doesn't seem to know either, which is a shame because I feel like there's an interesting story there. 
about the evolution of this project. So let's let's talk about some more details in the film. So we got Brendan Fraser as his kind of goofy, likable self. He's fine. And then we have Monkey Bone. Monkey Bone is is played by John Turturro with his voice sped up. Michael, what did you think of Monkey Bone? God, he's... It's just such a fucking bummer, man, because, <laughs> like, he is just so, like, obnoxious and unlikable, and I don't necessarily think it's a design issue. I don't think it's the performance, because, you know, he's certainly a funny guy. He can be he can be uh, compelling, and uh, I think it's just, like, in the script, I, I bet that Sam Ham like... He just put those in as like placeholders, like, uh, and he says something kind of funny here about how he's like a sidekick or something, and, and like hoping <laughs> he doesn't write even write the joke. <laughs> like <he's laughs> <right. laughs> I would love this script's like Monkey Bone says something funny. <laughs> Pause for laughter. Yeah, well, I bet that's like kind of what happened. I mean, I, and I, I have nothing to base that on, but I, I just don't believe that. Somebody can possibly think any of this was good. What he's saying, like it's it's just, uh, I don't know. I, I I feel like there's. It, it reminds me of uh, another similarly horrible and unfunny imagination creature, which was Drop Dead Fred. Remember that guy? I haven't seen that since I was a kid. In my memory, it's good, but it's probably bad. <laughs> Well, yeah, it's just like this this guy. It, it, well, it's the same. But okay, what I'm trying to say is like it, he's like an id. You know, he's just like, oh, I'm crazy. Look at me, da da da, and I'm gonna talk real fast. But like, I don't yeah. know, man. It's you, you got to make sure it's really funny because that is just exhausting after a while. But I will say this, and we're you know we haven't quite gotten there in the in the plot yet. When uh, he takes uh, uh, Stu Miley's body over. That's when he starts. To, I I kind of dug it a little bit more then because I think Brendan Fraser is just that fucking good. Yeah. So let's touch on that. So in the movie, uh, Stu he finds out he has to get this exit pass uh, from the Reapers and the leader of the Reapers, whose death is played by Whoopi Goldberg, stream police favorite for her iconic performance in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Oh yeah. And they do acquire one, but then he's double crossed by Monkey Bone, and Monkey Bone takes a ticket, and he gets to go you know, into reality and he takes over Stu's body and starts kind of, I don't know, becoming, just becomes a big asshole, I guess. And, you know, selling out, becoming rich, just being a jerk. Oh, I also forgot to touch on, there's another character, uh, hypersonic, uh, 91, uh, mentioned this character, Hypnos, who's played by Gus from Breaking Bad. <laughs> AKA Giancarlo Esposito. He's like a little, what do you call those? Fawn? Goat man? Yeah. A fawn. And he's working with Monkey Bone for this plot to uh, spread nightmares or like spread this like powder kind of gas everywhere. So everyone has nightmares. Yeah. Because I guess he's he digs nightmares I and mean, he's a god of sleep. Everyone likes watching nightmares down in downtown. <laughs> sure. And uh, Monkey Bone, while he's up there, is supposed to do it through uh, these Monkey Bone dolls that fart. Because this is going to be huge, Michael. This is going to be the biggest thing in America. All right. And this is going to follow everybody and it's going to be nightmares. But Monkey Bone keeps kind of diverting from the plan. You know, he's more interested in other stuff. Like, uh, there's that scene where, like, Bridget Fonda, you know, wants to make sexy time. And he's like, yeah. But then you find he's, like, watching Discovery Channel. 
I can't decide if that's a good joke or the worst joke ever. I mean, it's 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 kind of obvious. I don't know. It's it's a joke. A lot of stuff like that. Monkey Bone's pretty lowbrow, but it is interesting to see Brendan Fraser play a live-action cartoon character. Sure, sure. And I like seeing him interact with Dave Foley. I love yeah. Dave Foley. So. Yeah. No, that was awesome. The fact that he's like totally into the fact that oh yeah, let's make all these deals. Like he doesn't even care that this guy's like an asshole now. Yeah, no, I love. First of all, he, Dave Foley looks perfect in this with his bleached hair and all that shit like he he got the look down great and also i i got a pretty good laugh in the movie when, when he's telling him as uh, he's got monkey bone as Stu. he's saying like oh yeah we're getting married so you know if, if i get convicted then uh they'll have to try i don't know she can't testify against me and he there's just a pause Dave goes Convicted of what? <laughs> it's pretty funny. Like he's, he, I think this movie's got some ringers in it. Like it's got because you got the 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 phrase and there and the Dave Foley and you know I mean there's Megan Mullally. She does what she can with a role that was clearly bigger in uh, the original cut. You know, mm-hmm. Chris Kattan shows up at the end and he's having fun. Bob Odenkirk. Bob Odenkirk is hilarious. Yeah. He is. He he really is. He's not in it for a lot, but I'll get to I'll get to that in just a minute. Yeah. You know, I guess I'd like to touch on something that I did really like about this movie. Yeah. And that was the nightmare sequences that Stu has. Yeah. Now, I was reading about this on Wikipedia and apparently there's an art, artist from Oregon who does really terrifying paintings. <laughs> I had his name here somewhere, Mark Ryden. Oh yeah. And um and in the film, Stu has these nightmares, one where he's kind of like being operated on, and they're these weird David Lynch-esque black and white surrealist, like, monster. I can't even, like, it's hard to describe, but they're these really scary nightmares. I'm like, wow, that's really, that's really cool. This is a really amazing looking set piece here. Yeah, it is. There, there's a lot of really great kind of dark surrealist sort of uh you know touches in there like and even within the world of downtown i think there are some like really impressive sequences just in 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 the sense that they they are kind of unnerving and and yeah a a little bit lynchian i think you know uh plus i okay what when you taking away like the source material and all that downtown itself like would you say it's at least pretty interesting design-wise? Like, there's some cool creatures in it, at least? I think half of it is. Half of it? There's some creatures where I... Like, that guy has a bull head, or that guy's got a big eye. Like, I don't... It's yeah. interesting, kind of, but I don't understand the relevance of that character. Like, it, it, it brings yeah. me back to when I was talking about... We're talking about Beetlejuice. Like, Beetlejuice, they're dead people. You get it. And you get that they're weird looking because that's how they died. Yeah. I don't know what any of these things are. If I got a little more background on what they represented, yeah. I just, I, I feel like it's like, well, let's make something wacky. There's got to be like a purpose for everything to be in there for me. Yeah. I think some funny. of them made sense and some of the design choices of downtown made sense. And then some of it seemed like, well, we just got to fill it with as many characters as we can. Like, <laughs> it's like half realized for me. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's exactly it. I, I again, I, I keep going back to this, but I, I would kill to just get like a Criterion DVD where they have all the deleted stuff, everything that didn't make the final cut, because the stuff that did make the final cut, like I, I'm wondering, like that that little bit where oh, Monkey Bones trying to escape a little go kart or whatever, like 
Was that something that they demanded be put in there instead of a better explanation about who Rose McGowan's character is or, or any of that? Or, or like, oh, hey, we got to have this weird fucking Harry Knowles cameo <laughs> in, for a second. But then it's like, well, yeah, but instead of that, maybe you could have put some more time into going into what Whoopi Goldberg's all about in this. Like, yeah. It seemed like there was this back and forth struggle on whether or not this was Beetlejuice or this was more of a kid's movie. Like, okay. I mean, some people might say Beetlejuice is a kid's movie. I don't know if I would. But there's that stark contrast between, like, this is really silly. Like, a six-year-old would think this is funny to, like, sex jokes. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, well, is, is it one of those things where they were just trying to cater to every demographic? Well, here's what I think is part of it. I think that... Uh, if you remember when it came out, the the tagline for it was "Get Boned," and like the poster was a picture of Chris Kattan and Brendan Fraser standing next to each other, and it was like, I think they were pitching it as like, "Hey, teenage boys, we got like a funny comedy for you," whereas I think what they were trying to do was make like a very weird kind of dark uh, comic fantasy with all these little flourishes in it, and then I think somewhere in the post-production process you know not maybe i'm not saying that like there was a masterpiece originally i'm sure that it, you know it was a flawed movie <laughs> in the, in the production stage but like i feel like they, they just kind of <laughs> crossed some wires and were like you know we, we got to make sure that this hits our key demo here this isn't this is really fucking weird for us to put out <laughs> right now and, and you know they they buried it with a February release. It, you know, it's not like they they were really happy with it. So it, there was no hope for it. But yeah, I, I feel like they're they were trying to make something that uh, was you know maybe like some of the more punk rock kind of teenage boys would be into it. But it was yeah. you know maybe more for people who uh, who might have actually read that source material or would be interested in reading it. You know, it's, uh, or, or people who would see that kind of weird surrealist stuff while at the same time laughing at the kind of more lowbrow stuff. Because I think there are some stuff, there, there are some scenes in the movie where there's like a gag that will ride that line where it's like, uh, Edgar Allan Poe calling Stephen King a pussy. Like, I, you know, that's kind of, that's funny in a way that's just like, uh, he called him a pussy, but it's also funny in a way where it's like, the situation and, and just kind of the you know where they're in that little prison in in a nightmare land like there's stuff like that that i think kind of works in in bridging those worlds but like i i think 20th century fox was not into that being the overriding <laughs> aesthetic of the movie it's like they set out to make meal juice and along the way somebody's like hey what if this was the mask <laughs> sure yeah yeah and then yeah it was probably a lot of studio interference and tweaking and like you're saying hitting like their key demos and then at some point you have this film that's supposed to be for everybody is in turn for no one yep that's exactly it uh the closest i guess would be those kind of more the, the people who was probably originally meant for kind of more punky cool not cool well no guys like us right <laughs> Guys like us, yeah, cool guys like cool us. guys like us that have like really good taste and yeah, yeah. No, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> we have we have the best. We taste. are the stream police. We're the stream police. We're talking about Monkey Bone. <laughs> Fifteen years after it came out, <laughs> Monkey Bone's actually got some pretty cool stuff in it. <laughs>
Yeah, that would have been that would have been way more interesting if we come out on this like strong stance about how this is really good, and we're gonna start a petition for the criteria. What is our life though? Like, you know what I mean? Like we're just like fifteen years later, we're just like talking about monkey bone, like. There's, there's some good stuff in it and just like we needed time to reflect michael i'm just saying like okay go back to 2001 like I, if i were you know in 2001 i'm like seven years old or whatever and i i am aware of a movie called monkey bone what i think you know what in 15 years i'm going to record myself talking to somebody over the phone about what i feel about monkey bone and i'm gonna put it on the internet so other people can hear it <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be there for all of time. Ugh. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, you know, we haven't even got to uh, Chris Kattan. Yeah. Also, you touched on something uh, I totally forgot about, which is the fact that at one part, you know, Monkey Bone, he's up in reality, messing around, doing his goofy stuff, <laughs> and Stu's kind of locked up. Um, you know, like Hypnos puts him in a jail cell, and he meets like Attila the Hun and Jack the Ripper and Stephen King. Yeah, <laughs> which I guess is funny. I think I like that. Yeah, I like that. Stephen <laughs> King. That's so much of the movie is. I guess that's funny. Yeah, I guess I like that. <laughs> What's weird though is I'm reading here, and I I don't I don't remember this, but at least in the Wikipedia synopsis, it says, "And Stephen King, who reveals his nightmare of Cujo, pulled the same trick Monkey Bone pulled on Stu." So, are you telling me that? According to this movie, a dog with rabies took over Stephen King's body, or you know, around two thousand one. I guess that's what it's implying, and I I do know that they originally Stephen King agreed to appear as himself in that role, but like scheduling or whatever, he couldn't do it. I don't know. I, I would have liked to, if he had, if Stephen King as himself had said that Cujo took over his body, I'd be like, all right, this might be movie of the year material, <laughs> like, yeah. What a weird thing, though. Like, uh, again, a kids kids know what's going on right now. Who's this movie for? And you're telling me Stephen King is a killer dog. I don't know. It's just, <laughs> it's like, like there's things in there I like, but it's such a confused mess of an idea. That one little joke is is a mess. I don't know what what's going on there. I feel like that that that's just one of the small things that you know sums up the whole picture here. Oh, and I didn't talk too much. You mentioned Rose McGowan is kind of Stu's friend down in downtown. And she's a cat girl. I'm not sure if she was ever a person or if she's just... I don't think so. She's just some weird animal person that lives there. Yeah, she's just like a, a creature down there who's kind of... Uh, yeah, she's she's a cat lady. And, and she, I think, like eats the guards of the jail at some point, right? Something like Something that. Something like that. And she's... So it gets... Yeah, yeah it gets Stu free... And then eventually Stu finds his way up to the real world and takes over the body of a dead um, Olympic athlete played by Chris Kattan, which when I saw the movie as a kid, I was like, wait, I, like I was so surprised that he was, he finally showed up. I'd forgotten he was in it. He was like, he's on the poster. <laughs> yeah. That's the it took forever. <laughs> he's in the movie. You just like at the end, it, it's, it's. I, see again. I, I feel like they were like, uh, uh, what, what, "What do we do? What do we do?" Uh, Chris Kattan's in it. Hey, look, you know, like it's going to be a buddy comedy where these two guys and <laughs> Monkey Bone. I don't know, but yeah, but they, they do finally get to him, and and he he gets to inhabit Chris Kattan's body, and he kind of gets up from the the table as uh, Bob Odenkirk as this kind of morgue uh, doctor <laughs> is in there. 
uh, and they're all about to like take take him apart for some like I think I think he's like teaching medical students. Maybe is that kind of what's implied? Yeah, that sounds right. Uh, yeah. So uh, he, yeah, they they go chasing after him because he's it, it's I don't know. It's actually this kind of very pretty entertaining like madcap little chase sequence. I, I enjoyed that. I love that bit. Yeah, <laughs> it's because it's like. The dude's alive. Why would you still want his organs? Come back here. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a good that's a good bit, and it's Bob Odenkirk. Who I mean, what a great choice. Yeah, that's great. I, now, uh, Emmy Emmy nominated drama actor Bob Odenkirk. I bet he still considers that to be his best role, though. So then it's like, oh, madness chasing down Chris Kattan, and Chris Kattan has to convince Bridget Fonda in the course of like a few minutes that <laughs> I'm I'm Brendan Fraser in the body of Chris Kattan, <laughs> and that guy is uh, a cartoon monkey in the body of him. Whenever I make an OK Cupid profile, I always say, ladies, I'm like Brendan Fraser in the body of Chris Kattan. <laughs> <laughs> Don't know exactly what you're saying. Hmm. <laughs> good stuff, good stuff. Uh, they have some stupid finale on a balloon. <laughs> Uh, it's okay, I guess. <laughs> yeah, they do have a stupid finale on the balloon, and it, it is kind of okay. It looks like there's some good stunt work going on. But again, uh, you know, I couldn't help but think, why isn't this movie ending? I guess it couldn't, but why isn't this movie ending in downtown? It seems weird that so much of the movie took place in this mystical world, and I mean, I guess it has to. Yeah, he monkey bone came up there. It's just. Yeah, yeah. I, I kind of like the idea of all of the... I think what they were going for was, hey, hey, look, all this crazy stuff that was going on in the downtown world looks like it's exploding into the real world. But it's not like the movie right. ever really made that contrast like well enough before. It's not like a bunch of characters burst through. <laughs> yeah. Like, we, we, don't, we don't understand what's going on, nor do we care about these people, so it's hard for, that to, for them to sell that. Um. And, oh, and it's a giant monkey bone balloon, if I did not point that out of course it is because monkey bones just gonna be huge that's another problem with this movie i cannot believe that monkey bone would ever be popular see that's it though i mean that's that's me that's probably me being a little hard on the movie well but the, here's the thing i think they were i, I think I, for a while i was like oh is this like kind of a satire because it's like oh this is kind of like this alternative kind of thing and he's trying to monetize it and oh, they're really overestimating how much people are going to like it by making all this merchandise. But then, like, all the press are really into it, and there's that big, like, whatever it is, that weird gala of, of people. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't know. Like, I, I think, yeah, they're, they're just living in a world in which Monkey Bone was going to be, like, this huge phenomenon. I guess, yeah. I'm... Good point. Yeah. Checkmate, Monkey Bone. You got me on this one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that makes sense okay and then uh, everything works out for the most part except Dave Foley was sprayed with monkey bone gas and he goes makes him go crazy and he takes off all his clothes and he tells the audience breaks the fourth wall to tell the audience to take off their clothes and I had never seen anything like that in a movie before and I didn't know what to do and I was really scared it's like well should I do it am I going to get in trouble if I don't yeah well, what was going to happen to me 
I'm going to ruin the experience. That's the only way to really watch Monkey Bone. At Monkey Bone Midnight Viewing Parties, you take <laughs> off your clothes at the end. <laughs> what if that was true? What if Monkey Bone was like a, the Rocky Horror Picture Show of the early 2000s? I think it, that's coming. I, I think that, that'll, that'll it's, happen. It's up too. to us. Yeah, we have to like, but what do we throw at the screen? Like, what, what, what? At what point do we like? Oh, he said, "Hey, monkey bone, stop that!" <laughs> let's, all, <laughs> let's all. I think I'd have to to review the watch the film once more to, uh, yeah. you know, to to get a good grasp for that. Obviously, you need gotta have those farting monkey yeah. toys or whoopee cushions. You know, you everyone has to, you, need you know, yeah. smush their whoopee cushions whenever there's a fart thing. <laughs> Uh, yeah, everyone has to throw copies of Cujo at the screen. <laughs> oh, he said Cujo! <laughs> everyone throws like a paperback Cujo. Uh, well. You know, you, you have people acting out the movie as it's going on. There's there's always one uh, Whoopi Goldberg audience member who's selected who, whenever she's on screen, he has to run up there and say all the dialogue verbatim as she's saying it. It's like surround sound. Okay. Chris Kattan's the coveted role, obviously. Oh, yeah. Chris Kattan actually shows up at a lot of these. He's, yeah, he's got nothing else going on. <laughs> so. I, I, okay, oh. just because I just I said that, I, I do want to point out, I like Chris Kattan, and I thought he did a good job. He's good in this. He's a good uh, physical comedian. Yeah. Uh, you know, he has to pretend like he doesn't have, like he's missing a bunch of guts and his neck is broken, and uh, yeah. he does a good job. Good job. CK. Uh, just if people want to know the numbers, Monkey Bone cost $75 million. It made $7 million. <laughs> you know, we didn't even touch on that when we were talking about Brendan Fraser. Maybe he just doesn't bring in a lot of money. No, nah, I feel like, because up, up till that point, I think he was, you know, it wasn't like true yeah, thing, that but point. he was doing all right. And then, like, afterwards with the Mummy movies, he was, you know... Journey to the center of the year. Like I feel like he 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 gets in stuff that does okay. He's just not a huge star because like it's just so he's just everybody. I, I okay look <laughs> I fucking watch George of the Jungle. Everybody like how can you not yeah. like that guy? But yeah. you also can't for some reason people are like oh well we're not gonna give this role to george of the jungle but like couldn't you totally see him in in jurassic world sure as bryce dallas howard's character yeah yeah why not it's 2016 <laughs> yeah no oh, well one day no i i agree i don't i don't know what happened i don't know if it was deserved um... <laughs> i don't know if he deserved it <laughs> <laughs> it's karma Fraser mania <laughs> excuse me Fraser mania hard to say Fraser. so uh Fraser monkey mode uh still on Netflix well you know I just wanna I want I want to say one more thing about the kind yeah. of okay of the movie. because I, <coughs> we were doing uh, I was doing some research uh, while I was watching it before we made this. And I yeah. found that one of the few positive reviews of Monkey Bone came from A.O. Scott. The, the oh, Times, I like him. You know, great. Uh, I, I actually really like his, his reviews. He's a, he's a good oh, writer. Oh, he's good, yeah. 
Um, and it's, I, I read his review, and it begins by saying, uh, to declare Monkey Bone the best comedy of 2001 would be to smear it with the faintest of praise. Not only is the year a scant eight weeks old, but the movie's main competition consists of Head Over Heels and Saving Silverman. To say that Monkey Bone is funnier, smarter, and more original than those pictures is like saying it's more pleasant than a kick in the groin followed by a trip to the dentist. Better to say that it's a welcome antidote to the epidemic of witless, frantic, second-hand low comedies that gnaw at our brains like antibody-resistant spirochets. I don't know if I pronounced that last word right, but I do know that I agree with his sentiment. Because I think what, what and if you read his, I recommend everybody read his review, actually. Uh, look up A.O. Scott plus Monkey Bone. What he gets into is just the fact that for as many shitty comedies as there are that fail due to a complete lack of imagination, <laughs> to a complete lack of any inspiration at all, and, and, and no care or energy going into it, just like a cookie cutter, kind of like, ah, oh, this is a joke, kind of. This is a movie where, you know, whether you think it succeeds or, or, or fails, it, it's, it's something completely different. And for what it's worth, he thinks, and I honestly kind of think, that more of it works than you would think. Like, there is, I think just from that, the kind of manic energy that went into to making something like this, and, you know, by hiring people like, Brendan Fraser and, and the production designer whose name is uh, what's his name Bill Bose Bill Bose yeah uh, there there is this kind of I don't know this this kind of uh, sense of of lunacy of like heightened uh, of I don't know there, there's these surrealist touches there's the this kind of uh, imagination and willingness to try weird things and and you know you, I, I think that there are a, a lot of moments where that doesn't work as we've said but if you if I had to choose between seeing uh, monkey bone in the theaters or going to see like I don't know, I'm trying to think of <laughs> shitty, uh, like, Neighbors 2 or something, I'd probably go see Monkey Bone, just because it's, like, it is its own thing. The government just tried to cut me off real quick because what I was saying was so truthful that it was scary <laughs> to them. But as I was saying, uh, I would say that if I had to choose between going to see, like, Neighbors 2 or going to see Monkey Bone, I would choose Monkey Bone, because it is doing something different. It is, uh, you know... Doing something uh, that, for what it's worth, I have not seen before and will not see again. Uh, and yeah, I would say that I agree with what A.O. Scott's getting at. I would also add, and, and this may be, he, you know, he called it like Ferrelli Brothers doing a surrealist movie, which, you know, it sounds actually like a masterpiece, which this isn't, but I'd rather see a failed attempt at making at a Ferrelli Brothers doing a fully movie than, you know whatever cookie cutter thing just came out but uh but i also just throwing this out there a movie that's like a a similar case uh where i feel like it is a movie that i i I actually think this is better than monkey Bone. i actually think this is a genuinely often very funny movie that uh critics absolutely hated it with a box office flop but i think like monkey bone it is a very creative and unlike monkey bone actually kind of works for me i think i'm the only person who thinks this i liked the 2009 will ferrell land of the lost 
I enjoyed that movie. <laughs> I it is this fucking weird adaptation of the the Sid and Marty Croft thing, but it is like it does seem like a movie where the everyone involved decided to I don't know just do something very weird and follow their weirdest impulses while making it. And uh, I, I don't know why I, I'm throwing this out there, but just to give you an idea of where I'm coming from when I say that I don't hate Monkey Bone and would not be opposed to experiencing it again, this is coming from a guy who likes another loss. I kind of like that movie too, a little bit. Oh, yay, cool. <laughs> I saw that in theaters. Yeah, I, I sold tickets for it, yeah. Oh, interesting. But yeah, I kind of agree. Like uh, that movie wasn't a great movie, but it was uh, it it was bold. It wasn't like a lazy movie by any means. It it you know it was creative. It uh, took risks. Yeah. So yeah, I, I think that's very admirable. And I think you bring up that A.O. Scott thing is is a real eye opener because I didn't think about the fact that Monkey Bone came out at a time where yeah, most of the comedies were like like saving Silverman and a lot of really crappy lowbrow ones. Mm. Uh, if people think comedy's bad now, I mean, obviously things fluctuate. I'd say look at the early two thousands. There's a lot of garbage, for sure. So, uh, which I, I don't know who's to blame for that. I don't know if it's the Fairleys or American Pie or what. Well, yeah, because I don't want to put like because you know, <laughs> yeah, I yeah. I haven't seen American Pie in a long time, but I, I like <laughs> a bunch of Farley Brother movies, and I and I like you know. I don't know. I, I I even feel bad for fucking because I haven't seen Neighbors too. I don't even know if that that sucks or not. But like, I yeah. I'm just saying like yeah those those early two thousands like Bill Flubadoob was a chubadoob and then yeah. I'm in too deep and I'm trying to keep this summer like that kind of <laughs> stuff like I it's just nauseating and then Monkey Bone comes out and I'm not saying it's good but like it. Yeah, fucking, I'm I'm throwing I'm throwing down for for Monkey Bone against that stuff. It's, it, it's certainly anything but a quick a quick buck. At least initially, I, there was a there was a vision at some point. Yeah, and some of it some of it shone through, some of it didn't. Sure. And then uh, we're doing the John Michael recommend. Yeah, this is a segment we do most of the time, and it's a little piece called John and Michael recommend. My two picks today are both on streaming. Uh, my first one I just watched the day of recording to this. Uh, only It's a show. I only watched the first episode, but it seems pretty interesting so far. And that's the new Netflix show, Stranger Things. Have you heard about this one, Michael? I've heard of it, yeah. It's set in the 80s, and it's about a uh, kid in a small town that goes missing. And uh, Winona Ryder plays his mom. Winona Ryder from Beetlejuice fame, and uh, she's trying to trying to track him down, and it it very much has like the Spielberg by the way of Stephen King vibe. Uh, feels very nostalgic synth score. It's pretty stylish. Uh, I worry that it's kind of a slow burn, and that it's gonna be one of those things where you're like, what's going on here? What's the, the secret behind everything? And it's just not gonna be that interesting. Kind of like a problem with a lot of J.J. Abrams movies where. There's this great mystery, but it's like, oh man, it's going to be tough to ever live up to that. But as at least of the first episode, I enjoyed it. I I love the setting. I love the, the, the just the look of it and the music. It's cool. 
So uh, there's eight episodes of that. I'm not sure if it's like a one-time thing or if it's going to be like an anthology show or what. But, you know, if you're into that kind of supernatural, paranormal thing, and if you're a Spielberg fan, you know, it's worth it's worth checking out. Stranger Things. Um, Michael, what's your what do you have to recommend? Uh, well, number one, uh, I'll do another TV show. Uh, this one's on Hulu, and it's the second season that just uh, got the first episode of the second season was posted. Or no, first two episodes, rather, of the second season uh, were just put on Hulu the other day. And that's uh, Difficult People. It's a show uh, created by Julie Klausner and stars her and Billy Eichner and uh, also James Urbaniak. And it's these two kind of uh, struggling, uh, but sort of uh, getting there, uh, New York comedians who are, as the title suggests, rather difficult. Um, but as far as, as that goes, yeah, you've, you've seen that show before probably, but this one is, is just, they're so funny. Like, I, I, I binge-watched the entire first season, which was like eight episodes, so it's not as big of a deal as it sounds, but it is just so very addictively like why they're just terrible human beings but in a way where you uh, are compelled to keep watching them it's just a smart show it's funny there's a lot of great comedy people that are kind of in the background and you know in recurring roles and uh yeah i i highly recommend uh if you're looking for some kind of dark laughter then yeah check out difficult people yeah i saw that ad on there on, on hulu and it's like would i like this so i'm glad to hear that you like it so that means it's worth checking out so excited for that my next uh and only other recommendation is a show that you probably most people know about and i got kind of back into it but it's weird i can't decide if i like it or if i hate it sometimes and that's the uh the talk show comedians in cars getting coffee it's on uh it's on uh, Crackle, I believe. You can also watch it via Jerry Seinfeld's website. And it's just him in cars talking to comedians. And I love, you know, seeing comedians talk about comedy. And I always like to get some lunch and get some coffee. So it's like, I'm there with them. <laughs> I'm, I'm having coffee too, see, Jerry? My only problem with it is, uh, I don't know if I still like Jerry Seinfeld. He's kind of a jerk. Um, yeah. And I don't like a lot of his viewpoints on a lot of uh just issues these days uh, he, he just seems like a kind of a a grouch now and very yeah. set in his own ways um mixed feelings about that but i like the guests and the cars are cool and i like drinking coffee when i watch it so <laughs> yeah i get what you're saying I, I can i can see that like i think he's got a problem with uh I don't know if it's an ego thing, because I think he does have an ego, but I don't know if that's exactly what it is, but I also have that feeling sometimes, like, eh, I don't know if I want to see what Seinfeld does. But yeah, I think, yeah, that's a really interesting show, and when the guest is good, the episode's good. There's a lot of good guests. For sure. Okay, so uh, my my second recommendation, uh, this is me. Yeah. What's up? No, oh, sorry. Did we get cut off? No, keep going. Okay, cool. <laughs> no, I just there's a delay. Keep going. <laughs> uh, okay, <laughs> sorry. Um, yeah, my second recommendation. Uh, I was not aware this was on Hulu, but it is, and because uh, the director actually just passed away uh, last week, I thought this would be a, a good one, and that's Close Up. 
Uh, Close Up is a, a 1990 movie uh, directed by Abbas Kiristami. I believe I'm pronouncing it right. It'll be embarrassed if I'm not. Uh, who, as I said, uh, <laughs> film director who just recently passed away. Um, he wrote and directed the movie and apparently edited it, which I did not realize until just this second. So you know, kudos to him. Uh, it's a lot of people consider it one of the greatest films in Iranian cinema history. Some people, like I've heard people put it as the number one film, and uh, it's one of, of the three movies that i've seen by him uh it's my favorite i think it's 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 really hard to get uh to say too much about it because a lot of the what's great about it is watching it sort of unfold organically but it is uh a story about this uh the trial of the of person who impersonated the filmmaker named uh mohsen makhmalov uh, again really sorry for butchering these pronunciations uh, and sort of his, uh, him sort of deceiving uh, a family into uh, believing that, that they would be in a movie that he's making, um, and the people that in real life were in, involved in this whole situation are actually in the film as themselves. Um, that's all I'll say about it. But I, yeah, highly recommend checking that out. He, apparently, a few of his movies are on Hulu. Um, the only other one the only other two movies i've seen by him are certified copy and taste of cherry both of which uh, i like quite a bit and would recommend those as well but close up i think is the best one of the batch and uh, that gives my that's my michael thumbs up to to close up man it's a shame we didn't do a, a kirasami movie <laughs> instead this. of monkey bone no we did monkey bone <laughs> <laughs> Get boned. Maybe when Brendan Fraser dies, we'll do Abbas Kurosami. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> all right. Um, looks like that's all she wrote. So if you like what you heard, you can check out other episodes of Stream Police on iTunes or mildlypleased.com. Oh, and if you're on iTunes, search Mildly Please. It's all under one big channel with all sorts of other shows on it. You know, or, you know, send us a. Uh, an email through mildly please to her you know love to love to hear from you spam bot or human whatever um or leave a comment or whatever so thanks for listening and michael do you have any last words get boned hey baby i hear the blues are calling toss salads and scrambled eggs mercy and maybe i seem a bit confused yeah maybe but i got you pegged but I don't know what to do with those tossed salads and scrambled eggs. They're calling again. Scrambled eggs all over my face. What is a boy to do? 